don't narrow yourself down to one product or, you know, one program or anything like that. It's, it takes a combination of different things, you know, environmental, it takes a combination of different products you're going to use. Uh, I, I think it's a whole program approach, which I know we preach and talk about quite a little bit, but we all get narrowed down into it, whether it's because of the message we're receiving from different groups, you know, it's one topic at a time or one product at a time, or whether it's economic that we can't afford to put five different products in the feed or the water line or whatever, it just becomes too expensive to do. Uh, you know, I think there's probably some companies who are a little bit better leveraged than that, for that than others because they have more, you know, more products they're dealing with. Uh, but I, it's still, I think it's a bigger program approach uh, versus we're just going to throw one product in there and, and save the day. You know, I just don't think that exists. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Natural Biologics is using cutting-edge science to dig deeper into the poultry health challenges you face. By gathering scientific evidence, they identify the most effective combinations of natural ingredients that improve animal health. Visit naturalbiologics.com poultry to see the newest research in both turkeys and chickens. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm your host for today's episode, Dr. Karen Grogan. And with me today, I have Dr. Dan Moore with Colorado Quality Research. I knew that I was going to bumble that one because if you say it really quickly, um, that's a lot of uh, the same sounds. So, um, so Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit, um, first, maybe your background, how you got to where you are, and then what you do at Colorado Quality Research there. I had to slow myself down to make sure I said it right. We, we just call it CQR to make it a little well, bit easier. Well, I was going to do that because I, I have, you know, been familiar with um, CQR for a really long time. Um, but then I was like, no, I need to say their full name and say it correctly. So good. CQR, we'll do that from now on. Like in a scientific paper, we'll use the acronym from now on. Perfect. Yeah, so... Uh... My background a little bit is I started out at the University of Missouri, uh, got a bachelor's in animal science. I'm from northern Missouri originally, uh, but you're know, going through that process. I like everybody else. Uh, my, you know, my father's a veterinarian. My brother's a veterinarian. So I was thinking, well, maybe I'll go to vet school. <gasps> Didn't end up in the family business. I did not. And my uncle's actually a veterinarian as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so once I started going to school, I was like, well, there's not much room for me to be a veterinarian anymore. Uh, you know, the family's kind of taken over all of that. So 
I started looking at different areas and, uh, you know, after my bachelor's, I got a, a master's in poultry nutrition there at the university of Missouri. And then I thought, well, maybe I better spread out a little bit, learn some new things. So I went to North Carolina state yes. and, uh, go yep. wolf pack. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, got my PhD in, in nutrition with a minor in biotechnology. And then, you know, as you go through that journey, I ended up doing a postdoc. Uh, with the USDA out in Fort Collins, so only about 15 miles south of where I'm at now. So I was there for a couple of years, and it was more in the, it was at the National Animal Germplasm Program. Uh, so it was more reproductive physiology, uh, looking at primordial germ cells, a little bit different than what I was doing for my uh, PhD work, uh, but something interesting, and I always like poultry in general. So I thought, well, maybe I'll expand my knowledge a little bit, learn some different things, different lab. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so after that, I actually ended up going to a feed additive company and was there for four years, looking a lot at intestinal health type of, uh, you know, products and that sort of thing. And as I was there, I became a client at CQR. And so I had got my first experience with CQR about 2007 and, uh, you know, enjoyed what I was doing out here with them at the time. And then I went with, uh, Actually, a seed company that was working on a nutritionally enhanced corn product and was the nutritionist there, uh, helped them go through the business models. It was a very interesting uh, uh, experience for me. Got to see a lot of different things, work with agronomists, uh, but then also, you know, work with nutritionists in the field and that sort of thing. And I continued doing uh, work with CQR at that time. And during that process, I was having uh, conversations with the previous owner at CQR. He was looking to get out, and I was, you know, I was always interested in this. It's it's actually something I had been interested in doing. I didn't really know what it was, uh, you know, since I was in high school. You know, it's like, well, I'd really like to get in the poultry side and do that, and it all kind of fell into place. And so I came out here in 2014. Uh, was one of the owners with my business partners, you know, president of the company now. And uh, yeah, so I've been here about nine and a half years so far. Excellent. It, it's interesting the the sort of curves that that your path takes. That's um, you you decided to take the path with you know um, a joke around that nutritionists make more than veterinarians. So you definitely uh, <laughs> pick pick the better path. Now um, we have a couple of like veterinary students that then go on to do a PhD in nutrition. I was like, you you really want to like, you know, do this, you know, veterinarian nutritionist, you know, kind of like in your head all the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. So So um, my business partner is a veterinarian. So I'm around veterinarians all the time. So it's, it's pretty easy for me to see both sides of it. Right. And, and it's, it's a part of your family. So you're dealing with it. Um, Well, so, um, why don't you tell, you know, our, our audience sort of what CQR does in terms of, um, contract research and, and then, you know, what are the key, key types of either, um, products that you do work with or diseases? Um, so fill us in on that. Yeah. So we're, you know, a private contract research organization, obviously, and we work closely with several different universities at times, you know, we try to partner with them when we can. Uh, but you people do a little bit of different research with us, you know, something that's a little bit maybe more marketing based or competitor comparison, you know, they may not want published. So you, we leave that up to the client, you know, if we, they want to publish or not, you know, so it's not necessarily 
something we strive to do. It's just a matter of what the client wants to do. So if there's something they, you know, they were trying to figure out before they went out to the marketplace, you know, we'll do that kind of work. So we really divide into a couple different types of categories of, of work that we do. You know, one's the nutritional side, obviously. So, uh, you know, whether it's enzymes, minerals, uh, you know, anything like that, or any of the probiotics, prebiotics, you know, there's a long list of classification right. of products in that area we obviously do work with. So we'll just do basic, sometimes performance studies with that. You know, just seeing does the product do anything with feed efficiencies, obviously growth and and that side of things. So that's a pretty simple side. You know, we do that. Uh, we also do what we call GLP work, obviously something that's going to be presented to governmental agencies for deregulation of a product or approval of a product, something like that. So we look at different corn varieties at times. We also look at do target animal safety studies if we're looking at some kind of drug or pharmaceutical uh, to see if. It has any, you know, what, what impact it has on the bird. And we, so we take several different tissues for that. That's where my, get a little bit of veterinary side comes in to play that part. Uh, we have several disease challenge models here, you know, primarily work with Clostridium uh, for necrotic enteritis. We've got a couple models doing that. Uh, we do coccidiosis work here. We do salmonella work. I've got three salmonella studies going on right now. That seems to be, it kind of ebbs and flows. Right. But people's interest are up. Again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of comes topic. and goes, all of them. And so you're trying to stay up as much as you can on them. Uh, we're doing that. We've got uh, some E. coli. We do some E. coli challenges as well. So just a variety of, of those type of things. And then we'll do some basic farm, you know, some pharmaceutical type stuff on, on birds. And we're probably doing 90% broiler work, uh, you know, and then the rest is turkey and a little bit of layers you know we can do some breeder work as well but most of the demand is obviously on the broiler side uh we'll probably run three or four turkey studies a year and you know maybe one or two that pertain to the layer side but most of what we do is the broiler and we do we have a small uh nursery pig facility as well so so we've got our main uh facility and then me and and my business partners we own a preclinical uh, research company as well that's about 10-15 minutes from here uh, it's more of the lab animal type stuff. And we have some of those facilities we lease through CQR to do some more specialized work on the poultry side. And that's where the nursery pig barn is as well. Great. So it sounds like you can do a wide variety um, of, of research. And in terms of, um, you know, you hit on a lot of sort of current topics that are trending in the broiler industry. So we always deal with clostridial challenges, which I know you guys have a, a really good predictable model for that to, to try different products um, in, a, in our, you know, move away from antibiotics. You know, that, that's why we're, we're testing a lot of these um, products. What are sort of your biggest takeaway messages from, like, if you had to look at sort of the breadth of the research that you do in that? So there's a couple of different ways I think you could approach that, right? I mean, one is what causes a disease, you know? So when we're trying to do research models or something like that, you're, you're trying to do something that's predictable, obviously, which can be difficult when you're dealing with diseases and right. stuff. And just hard birds to reproduce in general. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It doesn't and, work you know, when you want it to work. And as I always say is, you know, if, a treat, if every bird reacts the same, they're either all going to die or they're all not going to die. So, you know, trying to hit some of the, Targets can be difficult at times, but you know, we work with everybody to do that. So, I mean, I think you can look at it from a research perspective, you know, how do you see the disease in a research environment as well as, you know, how does that relate to the industry? You know, so you're up, 
you know, as you well know, from a research perspective, you're trying to balance those two things, you know, something that's repeatable, something that you can predict and something you can create, but at the same time, does that mean anything to the industry perspective? And then the other side is, you know, what do you see out of that research? You know, what kind of uh, products do you see that work on that right. side? That's what and everybody wants to know. What, what, what actually really works? Everybody, I think, knows the same thing. You know, there's some products that work. There's some products that work a little bit. It might be a combination of products. Uh, it might just be situational at times, you know, as to what works. And it, I try not to be a commercial for anybody or market for anybody. So I try to just, you know, here's what we find and here's what we see, you know. And so, especially with the Clostridium or any of those, you know, disease challenge models, you're trying to create the correct environment for it to exist, right? I mean, so... We work very closely with a microbial company that houses all of our bacterial uh, pathogens for us. We do the coccidiosis in-house. Uh, so they'll grow it for us. And, you know, so the takeaway a lot for me, especially with, you know, Clostridium necrotic enteritis, you know, there's a lot of environmental factors that come into play. Even that, as everyone knows, but, you know, out here being in Colorado, it's, it can be fairly dry. Right. And so, you know, for us to create something like that, you want one big factor is humidity. And you, we try to create humidity in the bar in a couple of different ways, you know, by adding water uh, into the system. But we also watch, you know, we have, you know, with our daily checks every day, obviously we're taking temperatures and humidities and we're watching that. So you can do a couple of different things. You can, you know, have the number of birds in a pen, for example. You know, the, the more birds we put in a pen, you know, the more humid the litter becomes, the more wet the litter becomes, even, you know, even when they're younger. You know, so that is a factor at times, you know, so how crowded are they versus, you know, how, uh, you know, how the density essentially in the pen, uh, some other stuff we've seen before when I first started here, uh, you know, everybody wants to use, use litter, you know, reuse litter. You're trying to, you know, recreate the industry to some level. So we started doing that and I was getting flat a lot of times. I wasn't getting the challenge I wanted, you know, so we started doing some work with, uh, clean litter versus reused litter. And we were finding, you know, with the clean litter, it was easier for us to get the challenge than the reused litter. And, you know, I, I didn't really test it that deep or going to, you know, do a lot of counts on the litter or anything like that. But you are, our kind of hypothesis internally was just, is there something in the litter that's giving some immunity as we place the birds? Mm -hmm. And we just found it was more predictable for us to use clean litter or clean shavings, uh, you know, in the beginning. And that allowed us to kind of set the whole system up the way we wanted to, whether it was the coccidiosis vaccine, right? you know, coxy challenge down the road, and then coming back in with that clostridium challenge. And so that was helpful. But the flip side of that is that you're trying to create humidity, humidity on top of that, right. which you know, usually the pine shavings is a little drier. So we're doing some things, you know, get the humidity up in the barns, uh, using clean shavings so we can predict it a little bit better and try to get that a little more standardized as much as possible. Uh, you know, then we obviously looking at feed changes. You know, we like to challenge when we're doing a feed change, uh, you know, either it's feed form or feed type. Uh, you know, a lot of people will use weed in their, in their model. Uh, we do that some, but we don't necessarily have to have that. So we're always trying to look at strains. We've got a couple of different strains of clostridium we work with and, even since I've been here, we've got a traditional strain. We've got a new one now that we're utilizing, but we've gone through several strains and just see with our model, does it work? And most of them don't, you know, and so it's just trying to create that environment, you know, I think with humidity, 
with feed changes, with different feed stuffs, you know, trying to get that created along with your coccidiosis vaccine, uh, as well as potential, you know, if you're doing a, you know, a 10X, you know, a lot of people use like a 10 coxie vaccine at seven or 10 days of age, or even a couple of challenges before. And so that's where that comes in, right? Because we're trying to do something with the industry. So, you know, we, we remove them from feed too for a few hours. During that feed change, you'll try to get a little insult to the gut and put the feed change back in. Uh, but we're trying to do that as minimally as possible, you know, because we've done three-day challenges. We've done gavage. We've done on the feed. You know, we've tried a bunch of different things, but we try to get as close as we can to the to the industry side of things. And that's kind of the, I think that's where challenges come in when you're trying to create these models is, is trying to balance all of that. So then in terms of, um, you, you hit on a, a lot of great things there, um, in terms of how we create these sort of in diseases is, you know, you, you, you have to pile on several things to get, to get to this endpoint. So feed changes, we know that's a, a key, um, those transitions, as you said, in, in, in ingredients in how it's presented to the bird. Um, feed outages are huge. Like you were saying, we take them off a of feed. We create that stress. Um, a coccidiosis challenge, um, which sometimes is we gave it to them. You know, we, we use vaccines. We give them coccidiosis in an attempt to give them immunity. Um, so I think that everyone can appreciate necrotic enteritis is probably one of the most complicated, um, you know, things to reproduce. So, um you know, I, I think that you can take away from that, like when you do have it in your operation, like it takes a while to then figure out. Definitely. Like to work backwards and be like, okay, one of these things is, is not where, and it's so many things. Um, so I think everyone who's dealt with it and uh, continues to deal with it has to, to keep all of that in mind. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's multifaceted for sure. Right. So if, if you, from all of that, from everything that you know, what would be the most perfect way to prevent necrotic enteritis from happening? No cost, no cost involved. <laughs> Expenses no cost involved, are right? no cost involved. So from a, like your nutrition hat and your necrotic enteritis challenge hat. So, yeah. So the, the perfect way I, I think would probably raise them out here in an environment like this, you know, where it's really, really dry, uh, control the density a little bit. These things are not necessarily practical. Uh, right. You know, I'm just coming from experience when the challenge doesn't work for me. You know, what what have I seen whenever I do a study and it doesn't work? You know, I think you know, it's extremely dry, you know, where you're not having the cycling of the coxie isn't quite as great. You know, I think you keep that under, under wrap a little bit. So, I mean, definitely coccidiosis control. However, you can manage that. Like you said, we're giving vaccines, so we're giving it to them at some level. Uh, but I think environmentally, you know, that's that's one way to do it. Uh, and I think there's more aspects to it than just overall humidity, right? Like we was mentioning the bird numbers in the pen, you know, we get litter, litter moisture. I think I'm not really tested that or studied that, but I think if you're looking at it, I mean, that's a good place to start. Really, whatever can you do to kind of stop the cycling of coxie at some level, uh, which which would be the dry atmosphere. I mean, I, I always say I, I could raise antibiotic-free birds out here, no problem, if I just had enough water to get. I mean, that's right. our big issue. Out west is, is watering water. the animals yeah. themselves. So 
I, you know, I think we could really, you can do something in that regard. But most of our birds are raised in the southeast, so that's not necessarily practical. So I think at that point, you're not really containing it all the time. I mean, there. I think some of our practices that we're working with litter, I think, help. Uh, you know, whenever we're trying to maintain litter quality, I think that's helpful. You know, whatever we can do with the coccidiosis cycling, I think that's helpful. And then just a lot of it's management practices too. Like you were talking about feed out, just how do you protect it? You know, if you can continue to have the feed with them, uh, a little bit more standard with your ingredients. But once again, you know, these things, it's so, but that does cost money, you know, so you're talking zero cost. Uh, you know, some products we've seen that have done really well, uh, just in a general sense, you know, like copper, for example, uh, is done extremely well, uh, or at least in our model. And, and so a lot of times, you know, NRC, you're talking eight to 10 parts per million. Uh, but a lot of people maybe try to speed 125 parts per million, but really for us at 125 parts per million, it's sometimes you see their spots, sometimes you don't, you know, so really for us, we're getting up to the 175 part per million where you really start seeing an impact, you know, so something that's fairly easy, uh, you know, to utilize. I've seen a lot of new technologies lately that's, you know, they're very, I think, in the beginning phases uh, where it's kind of an enzymatic process where they're kind of attacking the, the clostridium at some level. I think they've got a ways to go as far as understanding, you know, how to produce it, how to produce it in a large scale, how to produce it, you know, quality control, you know, so it's, it's standard, that sort of thing. Uh, but there's some interesting things in that regard. Uh, you know, everyone selective probiotics and that sort of thing. I mean, there's a few of those out there that seem to help with that. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like it's multifactorial whenever you're starting to look at something like that. I guess that's not the best answer. Everyone wants to know what the. Right. Yeah. What's the one thing everybody wants the one. I want the one thing that's going to fix the one it. Thing. Yeah. It's not there but right now. No, but. no. And that, you know, we're, we're constantly search, you know, we're dealing with whatever the challenge is. And, you know, right now all the industry is in a economic, you know, so then no one's going to spend, they're trying to cut, cut costs, cut costs, cut costs. So then things like you're talking about, like, Oh, put in extra copper. No, that's not, you know, going to happen. We are doing the, you know, the bare minimum. We're not going to put in, okay, we get necrotic. We're going to deal with it. You know? Uh, so, um, so that's why I was curious, like, okay, if you, you know, if we're the, you know, you know, you're in a, you're in Sweden or wherever, and you know, you, it's not the U S market, you know, what would be not to call out just Sweden? Sorry, I shouldn't do that. But you're in, you know, small sort of, you know, I think that's the other, you know, we're in such large production and, and not even just the U S but, you know, Brazil and other countries, um, you know, it's, like you were talking about density, I think plays into it and ingredients. Like you just have, you know, the nature of our industry and we have to work with all of our, all of the challenges. So I am curious <clears throat> just because I find that the, you know, sort of the microbiome and how we shift that is another topic that everyone likes to talk about. So um, in terms of what you guys see in, in your research model, um, how, at what time point do you feel like you're actually making substantial change in sort of the bird's gut microflora? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. It's, and people that are 
much more educated in that area than me. Studied quite frequently, uh, you know. But some of the stuff I was doing in my PhD with is more from a muscle perspective. We were looking at things in ovo, you know, trying to influence from an ovo perspective. And you know, how does that? And in the first two days of nutrition, that's more nutritional than you know, direct impact on the microbial population. But you're looking at stuff very early, and I think there's a there's a great opportunity very early on uh, to influence the gut in that way. And, and, you know, just, it's more anecdotal, you know, than it is, uh, you know, purely scientific, but still what I'm talking about with the clean litter versus the reused litter, there's obviously something going on pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I mean, that's it. We, we challenge at day 17 and, you know, so zero to 17, there's something going on there, but I think you have a, a really big, opportunity early early on uh you know the first two or three days and and we even see that you know when we get birds in the hatchery right i mean we'll see mortality from zero to three week three days of age and you know obviously it's coming from other things but there's a microbial component to that i believe and you know whether that's coming from some sort of sort of maternal transmission uh you know something in the hatchery itself you know they might be exposed to something in the hatchery during transport that's causing some of that so i think you have a really large opportunity first two or three days uh, to do something like that but one thing we see with our model as well that's indication even later on you've got some opportunity is even you know i don't really like to take the model too far out i mean we we have some clients will take it to 42 days but you know, at day 17, usually by day 28, it's subsiding quite a bit. You know, so most of our signs of necrotic are gone by then. A few cases, we'll see it a little bit longer. And part of this is, once again, a density issue. You know, if we have some mortality in some challenge groups versus non-challenge groups. But we do see the birds do very well once they recover. You know, so, I mean, there is obviously, I think, physical intestinal turnover happening after the assault on the intestine. But that gives you an opportunity once again, uh, you know, from a microbial standpoint, you know, there's definitely some kind of change going on there. What can you do to, as they recover from that, if you have birds that are not dying from it, what can you help them recover and get through it faster? And then on the backside of that, you know, they're going to do. So have you, have you guys looked at any of those kinds of products? That's what like people ask me all the time. Like, okay, we're NAE and you know, we've, we've got a necrotic challenge. You can't really, do you have products that you're like, yes, we see, you know, shorter clinical course of disease if we use this? You know, I, I would, other than the copper and some of the, some of the probiotics, DFMs, we'll see that sometimes in some of the newer technologies. And we're starting to see some plant-based products that have some interest to me. You know, and these are small, small differences. You know, they're not gigantic differences. And so I really can't recommend one class of that. And I would say, Maybe it's maybe it's even our fault at times. You know, we're not looking at it like that. You know, some people are interested in recovery, but we're looking at the recovery just extending the study out. You know, there's probably some, some things we need to do fundamentally uh, when we're looking at that. Once it kind of subsides, what can we do within the study itself? You know, we've had conversations about trying to, you know, kind of generalize a bird density, try to, try to make every one more uniform at that point and then move on. Uh, so I don't think we look at it necessarily correctly in the recovery period. You know, it's just a matter let's just keep it going. What do they look like from day 28 to 42? Hey, we recovered better. Well, 
part of the problem you get, obviously, with a challenge model, you get a, a lot of variation. And, of course, if you're doing something with statistics, you know, that kind of messes that up where you're trying to find any kind of difference. And you're just, you're introducing variation just by having a challenge model in itself. And so, that I think it's something we all need to consider if we're looking at the recovery period, what can we do to try to minimize variation from, you know, kind of when they recover on. And and we don't really do that with our studies at this time. We've done it a few times, but we just kind of carried it out directly. Uh, but yeah, so me from a nutrition standpoint, uh, you know, if I was, if I was in academia, maybe you always think about, well, what if I was became a professor or something like that? What area would I like to look at? And because we really don't have that uh, luxury here, right? I right. mean, we're, <laughs> we're, you're, we're running the you're doing whatever time. study comes to your door well <laughs> exactly you know so uh it's fun to think about things but you're also trying to help the client they're looking at things you know just whatever we can we can do for them uh but just based on kind of what my phd with you know, are you setting the animal up for a different nutritional requirement you know and so i think that's something of interest and, I, and some people are starting to look at that i think that you know they've looked at some of the enzymes you know, like phytase or something during a challenge or how's calcium utilized or even some amino acids potentially but i think that's something else to consider is you know do you if you have a large disease outbreak what's that do to your nutritional requirement or nutritional needs after that to help them recover i think that's probably an area that's or at least me personally is something that's interesting uh to look at you know in combination with you know, some type of DFM or something. Awesome. So I think we've kind of covered that, that part of, of, of your work. So what are, um, in terms of, you know, are there, you know, I know that that's kind of your, your bread and butter is, you know, necrotic enteritis and coccidiosis. Are there, you know, things that you see on the forefront in terms of, you know, you're there in terms of products, you'd mentioned these sort of like enzyme, um, type of products for clostridia challenges. Um, what are the next new things um, that you see coming towards our industry? You know, and I, don't, I, I would say it's probably not necessarily new, you know, but some of the plant-based products, uh, some of the different organic acids, uh, essential oils, like I said, those aren't necessarily new things, but I think how they're utilizing them, how they're understanding them and how they're producing them are new. Uh, you know, because five, six years ago, I wasn't quite seeing the responses at times that I see now. Uh, you know, so with some clients, if I see something that's that's interesting, I'll say, hey, let's, you know, we'll try to figure out another plan to look at something. They may not have had a, uh, I don't try to go, hey, we need another study or, hey, we finished this study, you need to do four more. You know, I don't, I don't operate like that. But if I see something that's interesting, I'll say, hey, this looked really interesting. We may not have tease the differences you wanted to see, but let's try it again with something a little bit different and see if we can see that response. Uh, be, because I think the way they're producing them, I think the quality control, I think, you know, trying to get a product that's, that's more consistent. I think that's some issues you have sometimes when you're developing new products or working with some of these products, if it's an extract or if it's a byproduct of something else, as we all know with other products, you know, What's the variability within that product itself? And so I think there's there's some new plant type based products, which you know you would ask me five years ago. I say they don't work. Right, and I think that's like stuck for people. But I, I think that's great that you're saying that they are, you know, evolving and becoming, you know, more consistent, and and you are starting to see some some effects from from some of those. Yeah, it makes me really excited to see that. I mean. You know, to be honest here, we, 
maybe it's 30% of the time where we see a nice response in our, our model. You know what I mean? So I feel like if we see response, it's a really, it's, it's kind of a big deal. And we're starting to see that. And I don't, you know, a lot of times to me, I'll just see a trade name or I'll just see a, you know, product classification when I'm dealing with the client. I don't have the full background of the product necessarily. I mean, some of them share, some don't, I don't really ask for it. You know, I'm trying to give them a study based on what we're trying to accomplish. So some of it, I don't know the full background or the science necessarily behind it or their production parameters, but I am seeing some stuff that seems more interesting in the, those general categories. Great. Well, we look forward to learning more and uh, hopefully that those trends continue. I think that, I think that's a lot of people's um, as they've used these products, they're like, Oh, I tried that. It didn't work. And, <laughs> yeah, and right, I also exactly. feel like a lot of times you'll try something on one farm and then it, your judgment is that's not going to work. Um, so I, I think you have to keep trying or try a different version or try a different formulation because, you know, you could have dropped it off and the grower didn't mix it right. You know, how it gets applied. And then you, you make that, oh, no, I tried, you know, whatever plant product and it didn't work. Well, you know, we, we work with a lot of startup companies here as well. Uh, so very, very early in the process for them. And they might bring a product to us and it works, you know, and then we might do a second run and it doesn't work. And they'll be like, what happened? What happened? We're dealing with biological models. That's what happened. Exactly. That's part of it. And they'll say, well, you know, we switched this kind of ingredient in our batch production process. or we, you know, we're trying to scale up, you know, and we missed this piece of it. We're trying to scale up, you know, so there's, there's a lot of that that goes into it. And you're dealing with biological model. Yes. It's can be very frustrating at times. They don't read the book. They don't no, not answer at all. and spit out and results. That's what, and that's what I always try to sell to people, you know, why I'm not in the ruminant side. You know, the birds are way more uniform and we can we can go after it that way. But the birds still aren't that uniform type. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't uh, they don't perform on cue like we like we would like. Um, well, is there anything, you know, um, like sort of big picture, um, in terms of like enteric health and gut health and and the things that, you know, kind of are your everyday, um, that you would share with, you know, folks in the poultry industry out there, you know, dealing with it every day. What are like, you know, top messages for them? Well, and I think we've covered a lot of it here already. And it's something that I really have thought, you know, my whole career, at least starting with the feed additive company all the way to here. And I would say that's pretty true. Uh, Don't narrow yourself down to one product or, you know, one program or anything like that. It's, it takes a combination of different things, you know, environmental, it takes a combination of different products you're going to use. I I think it's a whole program approach, which I know we preach and talk about quite a little bit, but we all get narrowed down into it, whether it's because the message we're receiving from different groups, you know, it's one topic at a time or one product at a time, or whether it's economic that we can't afford to put five different products in the feed or the water line or whatever. It just becomes too expensive to do. Uh, You know, I think there's probably some companies are a little bit better leveraged for that than others because they have more, you know, more products they're dealing with. Uh, But I, it's still, I think it's a bigger program approach. Uh, versus we're just going to throw one product in there and and save the day. You know, I just don't think that exists. And if that does exist, you know, a lot of times there's 
some resistance or something like that that can be developed. I mean, if you're doing something at that level, you're probably doing something antimicrobial, and then that usually happens with some resistance down the road. So, I mean, I would I would encourage people to think more from a big picture standpoint. You know, as you and I joked a little bit from between the vets and the nutritionists, you know, but I think it's the whole system with the people, with the products, with the management. Uh, you know, I think that's something to really focus on, and that's something we see here a lot because, uh, you know, we'll test one product, it doesn't work. Someone else will come in and test a product, it doesn't work, and then someone either has the opportunity or wherewithal or whatever. Since we're private, people don't see it all the time. They'll try a couple different combinations, and that may work. You know, so uh, I would say keep keep things open. Uh, you know, I can be a little narrow-minded myself, you know, growing up in the Midwest, we kind of have a way and bam, that's it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's, it helps to stay open-minded with a lot of that stuff. And, you know, like we talked about before, if you asked me five or six years ago, you'd ask me about some of the plant products. I say, absolutely not. Uh, but we're starting to see stuff work now. So, uh, I, like I said, your program, you know, was a, a kind of a larger picture approach from environmental uh, to products to the whole team working together. I mean, I think that's your best approach to stuff like this. It's time for our famous three. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AB Vista, offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the animal nutrition team at eastman.com. So we'll, we'll kind of shift gears here to wrap up. So um, what what sort of uh, advice do you have for sometimes we have students that might tune in um, and being in academia, I'm with students all the time. So what, uh, what, what advice do you have? Like, you know, people coming up through sort of the poultry nutrition um, sector, what, uh, what advice do you have for them? You know, I think it really depends on uh, kind of the lifestyle you want to have. Right. I mean, it's a little bit different than just going, uh, you know, well, I want to be this or I want to be a corporate nutritionist or I want to be a technical person or I want to be research or I want to be X, Y, Z. I mean, even me going through it, it took some time, you know, because uh, you hear that. So, I mean, you need to think about, uh, you know, do you want to represent one product? Right. I mean, that's a different approach. You know, I didn't know any of this. And I've been on a couple of different sides of it now. Uh, you know, if you're a, a technical person, you're going in, you're selling to a client. Uh, that can be real exciting. 
doing research, learning about uh, different products, but you become an expert in a certain product, and you're selling that to uh, to either a nutritionist or a veterinarian or a CFO or something like that. So, I mean, if you like that challenge and you like to really get down and learn one product uh, or series of products and more corporate style, uh, you know, I think that's something you got to think about. You know, the other thing, if you're a corporate nutritionist, uh, you know, where you really have a large impact in production, uh, you get to do a lot of problem solving, a lot of real-time problem solving. It can be very frustrating at times, but very rewarding at times. I mean, and it'd be stressful. Do you want that kind of stress? Uh, academia, do you want to go into academics? You know, do you like working with young people? Do you want to create new things? You know, that sort of thing. So I think it's really more of a lifestyle, what you're interested in versus I want to work for this company or I want to work at this university or I want to work for this, you know, integrator specifically. I think you can't approach it from that angle. I think you have to approach from the angle. What would you like from a lifestyle perspective and what you want to do with your career? You know, I mean, I did my postdoc and it's something completely different. And, uh, and I would say stay open-minded about it. Even, even as you're approaching graduate school, you know, you've made the decision, obviously, you're interested in poultry, you're in, interested in animal agriculture. So you're in the right thing, you know, you're in the right direction. Uh, then at that point, it's about what do you really want to do with your life, your lifestyle, uh, you know, and how you want to help the industry. You know, because I think you can help the industry in multiple different ways. It's just to how you want to direct it and how your relationships in the industry are going to be. So I think you need to think about it from that standpoint a little bit. Excellent. That was all good. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a big, you know, emphasize. I feel like if you get, you know, kind of your life situation, right. Like everything sort of falls into place. Like. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I agree. If you, if you figure out that side, the, you know, and, and like if, if you, as you said, you, end, you, end, you went into something that you didn't really like, and you've kind of come back to, this is what I always thought I wanted to do. So you found like, this is what I've always known that I wanted to do. And, you know, if you find, uh, if you do something that you really enjoy every day, you know. It does. And, and don't be afraid to take chances. You know, I moved my family three quarters away across the country because we were yeah. back in North Carolina. Uh, yeah. So we, you know, cashed in the family savings, came out of here, bought into the company, uh, you know, and make a go of it. You know, so if it's what you like to do, do it. You know, don't, don't be too hesitant about it. Excellent. All right. Well, Dan, it's really been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. And uh, I think we've uh, covered a really um, pertinent topic for uh, the poultry industry in terms of um, enteric health and our friend necrotic enteritis. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't really want to deal with, but do uh, plenty. Um, so if, um, if any of you in the audience have questions about what they do, or you're interested more in terms of, um, what services they have to offer, I know you can Google and find them. Um, and, uh, you should be able to get, yeah, you should be able to get in touch with Dan directly. So, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks.